In the great hall of the Justice League, there are assembled the world's four greatest heroes, created from the cosmic legends of the universe. Superman. Wonder Woman. Batman. Aquaman. And those three junior super friends, Wendy, Marvin, and Wonder Dog. Their mission, to fight injustice, to right that which is wrong, and to serve all mankind. Hello, and welcome to another exciting episode of For All Mankind, a Super Friends podcast. For All Mankind is a read-through show covering DC Comics' classic Super Friends series, which ran for 47 issues from 1976 to 1981. Proud member of the Fire & Water Podcast Network. I'm your host, Rob Kelly, and joining me once again is my super friend, Sean Myers. Hi, Sean, and welcome back. Hello, fellow super friends. This is very exciting. This was a, uh, the story we're going to be covering, Trapped by the Super Foes, is part two. Uh, of a two-part continued story for the first two issues of the Super Friends series. A little bit of an unusual thing. Generally, these stories were one and done, but uh, I guess E. Nelson Birdwell felt that this story was just too big for one 18-page comic, so we're spreading it over two issues of the series. So I, since since Sean joined me for part one, I thought it would be appropriate to join me for part two. Uh, as I mentioned, it's written by E. Nelson Birdwell. It's drawn by Rick Estrada and Vince Coletta. Letters and Colors by Milton Snap and Jerry Serpy, and edited by Joe Orlando. This comic was on sale September 23rd, 1976. And before we get to the plot synopsis, we've got the cover of this giant robot, and the penguin is sitting on his shoulder saying, You may be tough, Superman. I'm doing my penguin voice. But you're no match for my super robot. And you've got uh, Superman in the uh, grips of this of the robot's pincers. Batman is looking very concerned. Uh, Wonder Woman is standing there. We get Marvin, Wendy, Wonder Dog, and Robin. And unfortunately, Aquaman barely present on this cover. Uh, we just see his head and a little bit of his shoulder. I mean, overall, what do you think of this cover, Sean? It's not as dynamic as the first one, but there are ten characters on this cover mm. but it doesn't feel that crowded yeah that's yeah this is uh it's uh it's laid out pretty well i believe it's all the cover is also by rick estrada and vince coletta so yeah I, I like the bright yellow it certainly pops off i would imagine pops off the newsstand and i love that dc tv logo mm. like i'm just a fan of that thing the little tv screen of the three even though aquaman's not in it uh but yeah i mean and i like the robot he's kind of cool look it's very um Fleischer cartoons mm-hmm. kind of style with the, with the big metal fingers. So, but, uh, but yeah, I am, I'm, I'm a little concerned that we're now two covers into the series and both covers Aquaman is always bringing up the rear, <laughs> but you know, hopefully uh, he'll do better in subsequent issues. We'll find out. Uh, so anyway, like I said, this is called trapped by the super foes. Uh, and the story is in the hall of justice, Wendy and Marvin continue giving cheetahs sidekick kitten a tour of the place, not noticing that the penguin sidekick chick has wandered off before wonder dog who has overheard chick transmitting a message back to his criminal mentor, the penguin, the trouble alert goes off. 
Once again, it's Dr. Michaels from Star Labs who curiously comments that he's had his doubts about Superman, but he must admit that he and the other super friends did a good job foiling the super foes. Wendy and Marvin wonder why he called just to say that. Finally, Wonder Dog tips Marvin and Wendy off. Before they can do anything, they see the super foes have arrived. Cheetah gives chase to Wonder Dog, but he leads her out of the Hall of Justice and into the Gotham Garden, where a dog show is taking place. The dogs mistake Cheetah for a giant feline and give chase. Wonder Dog sneaks back into the Hall of Justice and climbs into a teleportation chamber, beaming himself to the JLA satellite, where the Flash is on monitor duty. He trips his signal device, and soon all the super friends arrive. The Man of Steel brings along his dog, Crypto, figuring he can probably understand Wonder Dog. Back at the Hall of Justice, Penguin and Cheetah have trussed up Wendy and Marvin and are using them as guinea pigs for an invention of the Toy Mans, some mechanical hummingbirds with razor-sharp beaks. Wendy and Marvin are sent high in the air, but then saved by Superman, who realizes that this particular death trap was just a diversion. Dr. Michaels calls again and yells at Superman, telling him that in the meantime, the Supervos have returned to the various star labs they hit up last time and have this time successfully stolen the robot parts they were after. Superman points out that the Super Friends figured they'd try, and so they attached tracking devices to all the robot parts. Various emergencies suddenly erupt around the world, leaving only Batman and Robin to follow the trail of the stolen robot parts. They find the super foes just there putting the finishing touches on the giant robot, but get knocked out when the junior villains get involved. Meanwhile, Superman, Aquaman, and Wonder Woman all deal with their emergencies, which all happen to involve mechanical toy-like models. Hmm. Back at Super Foes HQ, Penguin says that Chick and Toy Boy have the honor of killing the dynamic duo, something they aren't interested in. Penguin then decides he'll do the deed himself, only to be stopped by Marvin, who stowed away in the Batmobile. Wendy then tells the junior villains that this is their chance to turn really good by turning on their evil mentors. They do, and soon Poison Ivy, Human Flying Fish, and Cheetah are tied up. But before they can do the same to the Penguin, he activates his giant robot and sicks it on Superman, who has also just arrived. Its powerful grip is so strong, Superman can't break it, but luckily a super strong punch to its head shatters the machine into a pile of parts. Soon after, Wonder Woman and Aquaman arrive, and all the super friends tell the junior villains that they will put in a good word for them, since they were so instrumental in defeating the super foes. Later, on Paradise Island, Queen Hippolyta is peering into a magic sphere which reveals a probable future, one where only three heroes can save the Earth from destruction. And those three heroes are Wendy, Marvin, and Wonder Dog? To be continued! All right, Sean, uh, first of all, this is the second one in a row. I apologize for how long these synopses are, but man alive, Denise E. Nelson Bird will get a lot of story into 18 pages. I love this. Like, one issue of this comic would be six issues of the way comics are written today. Yes, I literally was thinking that. I'm like, this is like a trade's worth of plot. I can't, I was like, I was getting exhausted typing all this out. I was like, my God, a lot happens here. I think if you take any two pages of this book and count every single word in it, it would equal an entire book. I think so, man. Oh, I mean, you kids got their uh, thirty-five cents worth or thirty cents worth, man. These are this is this is an incredibly dense story. <laughs> There's so many places, so many different scenes where the heroes are going back and forth. It's pretty remarkable. I do like this story. I don't think it's as engaging as the first issue. But I think a lot of times um, setting up the situation is a lot more exciting and, right. and fun than the solving of the situation. Right. Okay, I agree with that. Um, I like the splash page of the robot with the big goony eyes uh, grabbing Superman and all the, all, all the other super friends are kind of cowering in fear. Uh, I do notice – I don't know if you saw this throughout the book, uh, Sean, but 
for some reason, I don't know mm-hmm. if Rick Estrada or Vince Coletta know that Aquaman wears gloves. I I did notice that, um, and it's it's there's a there's some art choices that I don't understand. Um, I looked, and it's the same art team on both books. Mm-hmm. But in the in the first book, Aquaman has his gloves, right? And in this book, Aquaman definitely doesn't have his gloves. And I thought it was just one panel or just a coloring mistake, but no, he doesn't have his gloves. The other thing that I thought was really weird, it's the same art team, but the Hall of Justice is drawn differently in issue one and issue two. Oh, is it? I didn't notice that. In issue one, on page six, if you look at the Hall of Justice, you can see the TV screen and how how it's laid out in the Hall of Justice. And then in this issue on page three, it's that same TV screen, kind of, but then there's this big open space to the left of it, and in mm, the first issue, right. there's okay, like a yeah. map. It's, I was just surprised. If it was a different art team, sure, I could understand that, but it's the same art team. Yeah, uh, I hate to uh, pick uh, on Vince Coletta again because that is kind of shooting fish in a barrel, but uh, the page, I think it's page one, two, three, four, five, six. The bottom panel after Cheetah gets chased off yeah. uh, by the dogs and it's having thus shaken his pursuer, the triumphant wondrous double wonder dog doubles back to the Hall of Justice. And there's this, you know, nice uh, schematic drawing of the Hall of Justice, but there's not, there's literally not a lick of detail yeah. outside the Hall of Justice. I mean, they the Hall of Justice looks like it's on a tennis court. And I'm like, really, guys, you couldn't draw... Anything, and so I bet that Rick Estrada did draw it, and Vince Coletta was like, "Screw this! I'm not drawing all this detail." And he just erased all of it. It is, I mean, the 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 piece of land that the Super Friends have bought for the Hall of Justice has got to be pretty <laughs> pricey because they look like they have several miles all around in every direction. And like no no parking lot, no like walkways, nope. that kind of thing. Yep, yep. It's just got to like don't walk on the grass. Like, all right, okay, that's fine. Uh, and I think so, it's I think it's a little bit easier for us. Because we know the greatness that is Schaffenberger and Freyden that are coming. Yeah. But at the time, it is a little disappointing. A little bit. A little bit. I mean, he said, I like Rick Estrada. And I've seen uh, his other work in Warren magazines and even some Atlas. And his stuff's kind of real cartoony. It has a real style to it. And I, I, I think the reason this looks kind of dull is, again, it's I think it's because Vince Coletta. I think he just got rid of all the detail and just reduced everything down to like basic lines and that's that's unfortunate that said there are some nice little touches here um the panel on uh page three again we'll have some images from this book on the website fireandwaterpodcast.com the shot of wonder dog grabbing marvin's cape and they're like drenched in shadow like that's just a nice little effect i like that that's kind of neat um i imagine it is a little hard to have wonder dog kind of be in this story because you're drawing realistic humans but then you have to have wonder dog kind of being like scooby-doo where he almost talks in complete sentences and stuff mm-hmm. so it's this weird blending of a hanna-barbera universe but also kind of cartoony um i don't know if you noticed that same page that i mentioned with the hall of justice the silhouette panel where cheetah is being chased mm-hmm. by the dogs her boobs are huge <laughs> <laughs> like they're enormous i of course did not notice that <laughs> <laughs> They are. I mean, I'm like, oh my god! The only way they got away with that is because they're silhouettes. Like, who's a Dolly Parton running away? Like, that is amazing. But uh, well, it's anyway, funny, typical of me. I'm thinking, wow, she looks like Jane Russell. That, that, there you go. Same, perfect, perfect. She's wearing those one of those cone bras that yeah. she had. 
Um, yeah, the thing with Aquaman's gloves, it's so weird because, like you said, it's a, it's easy to think, well, it's just a a coloring mistake. But when you look, you can mm-hmm. see on the splash page and on I think it's page. Uh, eight, where su- Aquaman, all the super friends are, are yep, there yep. with Crypto, and he's got his hand on his hip. Like, there's literally no glove. You can yeah. see that nobody drew it. So, who either Rick Estrada or Vince Coletta did not know that Aquaman wears gloves because he's barehanded uh, throughout most of, almost this entire story, which kind of does more make more sense, really. Like, why would you have gloves on underwater? But, you know, Aquaman has gloves. That's the way it is. Um, I liked how it didn't take E. Nelson Birdwell long at all to work not only the Justice League satellite into the story, but another member, like the Flash. Like, we've already got another superhero in this book. And I talked about in the first episode that that I regarded the Super Friends as part of the DCU. I didn't make this demarcation of, like, oh, this is the kitty version. You know, this is just the Super Friends have a separate team or a separate team kind of inside the Justice League to train these kids. And this, you know, he's blending that really well here because, I mean, Flash – it, we're we're barely into this series, and already you've got the Flash showing up. Well, and also I think it's, and I don't know if they went this far with it, but I love the fact that Flash was a guest star on the first season of right. Super Friends in That's in right. the Too Hot to Handle episode. So <laughs> I, I don't know if they specifically planned that out so that he would be the first guest star in the Super Friends comic, but I love that it worked out that way. Yeah, I mean, it's great. I mean, kid, you know, I think kids would recognize him. I mean, I know that uh, Green Arrow was in the first season mm-hmm. and Plastic Man. Mm-hmm. I don't yep. think Plastic Man doesn't show up for a while. Uh, I, it is kind of funny that, that Superman gets crypto so crypto can talk to Wonder Dog. And we literally see them talking to one another at one point. I, and we see Wonder Dog and he's like, arf, arf, arf. And crypto kind of actually looks like he's understanding what Wonder Dog is saying. I love crypto as a character anyway. And I do think, because I was kind of harsh on the art, like you were, but I love the way Crypto is drawn here. Like, he is just so adorable. Mm-hmm. I love him in Superman's arms, mm-hmm. uh, right? which you don't really see that much. Usually you see Crypto flying around, but here he's being held like a real dog. Yeah. And he's got his little paws over Superman's arm. Yeah, it's really adorable. And then Superman's like, one bark for yes, two for no. Are Wendy and Marvin in danger? Arf! <laughs> okay, all right, we got it. Uh, so that's really fun. Um, did you, like me, uh, not realize until the end of the story that this whole thing with Dr. Michaels doesn't pay off? Like, he's just a dick. Like, because he, he's really rude to the super friends. And as I'm reading the story, I kept thinking, well, okay, we're going to find out that Dr. Michaels is like a plant or something. You know, that like he's in league with the super foes or something. But he's not. Like, he's just kind of rude to Superman. And I'm oh, like, that's oh. a weird bit of characterization. Rob, you are so smart and you don't even know it. Because Dr. Michaels is the atomic skull. Oh, is he really? He really is, yeah. So, so now oh, wait it a, doesn't. I, I'm I'm pretty sure it doesn't pay off in Super Friends at all. I don't. Remember oh, all right. Ever, and right. I, I have every issue I've read on, but it's been a while. Um, now I don't think Atomic Skull shows up in Super Friends at all. No, but yeah, I don't think so. He, he's he's the Atomic Skull. Oh my God, I forgot that. I forgot that. So E. Nelson Burwell is just kind of layering this character in a little bit, even though he's never going to pay it off. That's that, kind of fascinating. That's what I think. And, and at this time, Atomic Skull would have been really new. And 
And I'm not sure if it was the Atomic Skull at this time or they were about to introduce him. It's it's sometime close to this, though. That's really fascinating because I was like, as I'm reading the comic, I mean, I said I've read all these issues a bunch of times, but uh, some of these, it's been a while. And so I'm kind of re- – some of them I feel like I'm reading for the first time because I don't really remember the plot too much. But mm-hmm. when Dr. Michaels is like, Dr. Michaels, what is it? Another blunder on your part, Superman. Those villains have returned to our secret lab and stolen all the, all the robot components. And then he's like – Superman says, what uh, are the scientists working on the projects? Any kidnap attempts this go-round? No, but with those components, the criminals can assemble the super robot. Anyway, you have bungled badly. I'm like, what the hell is he talking to Superman like this for? Well, and it's funny because for a DC comic, I think it's odd to have a quote-unquote normal person be very brusque with the hero. This yeah. this is almost like a Marvel approach. It's almost like a J. Jonah Jameson type character. Yeah, that is real. That is that is very bizarre. Okay, so just as you were talking, I looked it up. Um, Dr. Michaels' first appearance is in uh, – as Dr. Michaels, as is Superman number 303, cover dated September 1976. And this book oh. is cover dated December of yeah, 1976. Yeah. So he was brand new. And yeah. as you said, he had he do, he's not going to become the Atomic Skull for two more years. So wow. Mm. Good, you good on you, E. Nelson Birdwell. That's really <laughs> fun because I I kept thinking that they're tipping this off that Doctor Michaels is going to be you know we're going to find out that the Penguin is paying him off, but no, he's just a big old jerk. Super and Superman takes it really well. Superman doesn't say like, "Hey, man, step off." I knew what I was doing. There's like he just puts up with it, which is a uh, very nice. So that was that was. <laughs> I was absolutely confounded. I was confused by an 18, by a forty uh, five year old comic <laughs> meant for small children. So uh, there we go. Um, <laughs> I love uh, the the idea that um, the Hall of Justice has kind of has like it's it has like uh, it's sort of on permanent lockdown, and only the members of the team can can open it by saying "open for justice." That's that great. literally yeah. opens it. I want to have that in my apartment. I want to build that in where I can say that open for justice and like the door opens and the unlock the lock because that's how the villains get into the place. They have to basically wait on the outside and then dumb old Marvin goes open for justice. And then we see them all running in. And I love the panel where they're watching them all. You even see um, Sardine in the background. He's got yeah. his fist up. He's like, yeah, he's all excited. And stuff. He's raring to go. He's raring to go. Uh, so yeah, it's a, uh, Wow, that's really that's really funny. Um, so then I guess super I mentioned Superman and Aquaman and Wonder Woman get their own little solo adventures, and then Batman and Batman and, uh, gets knocked out by Chick, which is kind of ignominious for him, really, <laughs> uh, because you know Chick is, Chick looks like um, was that Arnold Stang, that old that actor who did the the voice of Top Cat or whatever. He has oh that kind yeah. Of, yeah, yeah, yeah. He has that kind of look to him. He doesn't look that menacing. Um, I do like the robot at the end, uh, where he comes alive like Frankenstein, although the battle is very quick. We'll get to that in a moment. And then the one other piece of art that I, I wanted to see if you noticed the final page, right? Where the super friends have all the villains trussed up and, and, uh, in Wonder Woman's lasso and they're dangling. Do you see Aquaman sitting on the ledge there? He's got his legs folded. He looks very jaunty sitting there like that. He he is a guest on the Dick Cavett show. He's telling a funny anecdote about what happened. 
He's uh, now my next guest after Salvador Dali and like a Tallulah Bankhead, Aquaman, and he comes out. He's like, "Hello, hello, Dick." Yeah, yeah. It's just very funny the way he's got his legs crossed. Like just like again, Rick Estrada took the time to draw it that way, which is to be very, very funny. Oh, and actually, um, there he has his gloves. He's, he's got his gloves on. Yeah, I don't. know. Maybe he put them on at the last second. I don't. I don't know. So, it's very, so this very must confusing. be yet another Earth Aquaman. Like if Earth oh, Two has the yellow gloves. Earth, yeah, there's like a no Super gloves. Friends Aquaman where he has no gloves. Yeah, there you go. Exactly. Um, it is a shame that none of the sidekicks were ever seen again. This is it. We do not see Honeysuckle or Kitten. Although, of course, as we will point out in the feedback uh, later on in the show, Kitten uh, does appear on the Super Friends lunchbox. Mm-hmm. So they were, and of course, uh, you know, the Superfoes appeared in that uh, Revenge of the Superfoes book that you and I covered. But it's a shame that the other, I mean, you know, I don't think Sardine is a big loss or Chick, but uh, Honeysuckle and Kitten, I felt like maybe had some, some juice in them or something to go on. But uh, no, this is it for them. We never see them again after these stories. Yeah, I, I think I think that, well, it says uh, if Aaron vouches for them, They'll never go wrong again, and they That's were true right. to their word. And they never did. They all went to college at Gotham <laughs> U. Probably Batman, probably Bruce Wayne probably put them all through college and stuff. Get them on the, uh, the straight and narrow. So it's a fun story. Um, I mean, what did you think of it overall? I mean, you already said that you thought the first chapter is better because obviously it's more setting up and stuff. But overall, what do you think of it as a, as a two-parter? So I'll start with my most negative, and then I'll end with my most positive. All right, um, cool. The negative, I was a little disappointed that the end robot was defeated by Superman Mm -hmm. in a team book. Mm. I was hoping for a little bit more, you know, team up action to take everything down. And I know that previous to that, you know, each of that Wonder Woman defeats the the soldiers, the toy soldiers. Aquaman defeats like that toy uh, swordfish. Yeah. Yeah, swordfish. Um, so you had that, but I, I just wish there would have been a little bit more of like a group takedown at the end. Um, almost like the, the kid villain sidekicks, they kind of like teamed up to defeat the villains. I wish the super friends would have been more of a group takedown of the robot. I can see that. I mean, it is kind of a weird, uh, you know, where first off the, the robot is like, He's too strong even for Superman. And then he's like, I'll just punch it. No, he's not. Like, oh, well, all right. That was, you know, like they were in pursuit of this thing. And the whole reason the robot collapses is Superman says the robot was designed to beat me, but it hadn't been tested. Well, now it has been tested and it flopped. And I can sort of hear that like Danny Dark voiceover as he's talking like that. But I mean, uh, it's kind of funny that, um, you know, there is no panel where he gets to like tell Dr. Michaels to like shut the F up because, you know. Like you're, you and your vaunted robot, I knocked it out with one punch. I do say I love the panel uh, on the final page where Superman smashes the robot. Like mm-hmm. that is just a great looking shot where it's all these gears are flying off. One of its eyes pops out of its head. Like that's, that's just a really fun – I wish they had maybe a little more space. I think that uh, as you sort of pointed out on the cover, this, this story's got what, 15 characters? Actually more, 18 characters? You've got the super friends, the five villains, the five sidekicks, plus mm-hmm. Wendy Marvin, Wonder Dog. That's 18 characters in an 18-page story. Yeah. That's, that's a lot to fit in, uh, even if it is two parts. So. Um, going back to the robot, the panel with the robot with Superman smashing, that would have looked amazing as a Viewmaster reel. Oh, yes. The yes, 3D effects. Yes. Oh, that is oh, – that, oh. 
Oh, you're making me sad now. They never did that. That would have been really cool. Yeah, it's a great, it's a great there, show. There was a Super Friends Viewmaster reel. There was. In this story. That's right. That's right. There was. Uh, yeah, it's, it's said overall, it's fun. I like how immersive it is on the, the DC, uh, you know, in the DC universe part of it. Uh, the, it it's, it's, it's cool that he, E. Nelson Brittle, went so deep into the bench, you know, picking up these villains. I mean, again, as we'll point out later on in the feedback, Poison Ivy was a pretty obscure pick yeah. at this point. She had only had a couple of appearances. Penguin and Cheetah were, and Toy Man were the quote-unquote big three, but Aquaman and Poison Ivy were kind of deep cuts for E. Nelson Bridwell. But, of course, you know, as, as we saw, as we'll see in the, um, as, you, as you can see in the letters page, uh, from me, Nelson Bridwell, because of course there's no letters uh, yet. It's another editorial column. He gets into the history of all the characters. So I mean, the, you know, he's the perfect guy for this book. And the thing is, at the time, that was gold because, like, we had this conversation right now, and you were able to Google Atomic Skull. Bam, right. got that yeah. information. Yeah. At the time, we didn't have that. We didn't have even reference books for characters. Yeah. So something like this letter page, where it gave you the history of these villains, that is phenomenal yeah they said they were there i always love that stuff the uh my favorite one of all time is the two pager that jerry conry wrote for jla number 200 that ran on the mm. inside covers i read that thing 40 million times so yeah i used to love all this it's a sh- kind of a shame that they're uh kind of i think they're lost to the mist yeah. of time like when they collect these things they don't put them in there yeah i think for the most part i think they figure readers don't want to bother with it which is a darn shame because i mm-hmm. yeah like you i really I really enjoy them. So, yeah, it's a fun story. I like that um, he's establishing a – Nelson Birdwell is establishing a template with the uh, final two panels is yeah. continued to the next story. That's a great way to make sure kids, you know, reserve their 30 cents next month to buy the next issue. That's a fun – they didn't do that on the cartoon, obviously, because that would have been impossible with the production schedules. But I like that he does that here. It almost reminds me a little bit um, – I think it was during the second season. I think they would have like previews of next week's episode. Yes. yes. So that kind of reminded me of that. A little bit. Yeah, 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 that's true. Yeah, they did the next week on the Super Friends, the Wonder Twins, you know, that kind of thing. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's really cute. Um, in terms of the uh, the little features that I want to do for the show, I did we did for the first episode, we have real Villain Roundup. Now, there's nothing really to do for Villain Roundup because these are all the same villains from the first book. There are no, there are no new creations for uh, this issue than there were from the, from the uh, first issue. Uh, but Best Friend. So I want to ask you, who do you think uh, – both our votes uh, last time was Aquaman because he got the most to do. Who do you think came out best in this story of the Super Friends? There is absolutely no doubt. And Rob Kelly, if you give a different answer, this may end our Super Friends friendship. Oh, no. The MVP of this issue is Wonder Dog. <laughs> okay, all right. I, I wasn't positive that we could count Wonder Dog as one of the best can. friends, but I guess we can. All right, I was going to say Superman because he gets to destroy the robot and he gets to tell Dr. Michaels what for. But, yes, Wonder Dog straight up does get the most to do. So, okay, I'm a fit. you are setting the template. This is early on in the series. You're establishing the template that Wendy, Marvin, and Wonder Dog or the Wonder Twins can, in fact, win the Best Friend Award at the end of any given issue. So we've established that. So, yes. And Gleek. And Gleek. And Gleek. I would <laughs> – yeah. I mean, Wonder Dog, he, he, he drives Cheetah to, into the dog patch, uh, and he manages to get the Flash involved. Mm-hmm. He talks to Crypto. Mm-hmm. He gets a lot – he really does get a lot to do with this issue. He that discovered is Chick. That's right. That's right. He's the one who tells he tells Marvin, "Hey, a chick is uh, 
he's not a, he's not a, on the up and up. So yeah, he he got a lot to do. Fair enough. Okay, that's fair. <laughs> Again, we we're establishing the rules of the show early on. So so yeah, this is uh, the first two issues of wait, wait, Super uh, who, Friends. Who's your yes. MVP? I well, I said Superman, but because he gets the most to do. But you're right; it's Wonder Dog. It really is Wonder Dog. So I have to agree with you on that. It really is. Uh, so yeah, so these are the, the the first two issues of the Super Friends. Uh, of course, as, as we mentioned in the uh, first episode, Enos and Bridwell would use this team again on the Revenge of the Super Foes, like little golden book uh, that they put out that we covered on an issue on an episode of Fire and Water, I think last year. Uh, features my one of my favorite images of them all cooking a meal together, which I always post yeah. every Thanksgiving of them all having a having a little dinner together. But uh, you know, I mean, this is the beginning of a great run. Uh, this is actually the second and final issue for Rick Estrada. Ramona Frayden would take over as of next issue. So yes, that's gonna that's the everybody's gonna get excited about mm-hmm. that because Ramona Frayden, man, that was that's the stuff. So. Uh, yeah, so that is going to do it for this second issue of the Super Friends. So, Sean, thank you once again, my friend, for coming back. I really appreciate it. Absolutely. Always love it. And I can't wait to hear what our other Super Friends think of the other issues. All right. Yeah, I'm looking forward to uh, doing the rest of the series. And I said we are going to be having some other special episodes related to Super Friends stuff uh, as uh, – as we, as we roll along, I don't want to talk about what exactly we're going to be doing this yet, but uh, hopefully there'll be some fun surprises in store for people who listen to this series. So uh, that is going to do it. Sean, again, thank you for stopping by. Everybody, I want you to stay tuned for these commercial messages. And uh, when we get back, we're going to do some listener feedback. What you don't understand, there was the high school episode and the future episode where they had a daughter. Of course, Millhouse is in game. Yes, and Lisa is so fulfilled in all of those. In fact, there's that Christmas episode where she's so fulfilled by him that who is she calling? Nelson. You know why? Because they are endgame. It's almost stupid to even discuss it. This show has been going on for like so long that there's so many different future scenarios. It's like it's been 30 years. Yeah, that's true. That reminds me of Stella on her podcast, Batgirl to Oracle. She's had a pretty healthy run. How long do you think it will last? forever. Ooh, let's give Sal a call. Hello? Hey, Stella. Why are you guys using Skype? Don't you want a feed time? No. Hmm. Don and I were just talking about BTO and how long it's lasted. Remember when we were kids, you didn't think it would go very far? What? What are you talking about? Stella, how long are you going to do this show? Meh, ten episodes a year. Would you come first? Ha! You won't make it that long! You're a girl! Yeah, and girls have cooties. Gee, you guys really were supportive back then. We made up for it. By doing what, mansplaining? And cast-splaining. Ugh. Well, anyway, 2020 is going to be a milestone. We've got the 10th anniversary in December, and of course the 200th episode after that. What are you planning on doing? Call-in show for listeners will be scheduled in December, and the 200th is going to feature some very special guest reviewers. Hopefully. Ooh, I'll be sure to free my calendar. Not you. You're, no. Fly on with Backroll to Oracle in 2020. 
Ahoy, Captain Crunch here. And here, and here, and here. We're a yummy part of any good breakfast. And we all have one thing in common. <laughs> it's a crunch, all right. Also from Captain Crunch cereals, Super Sub. You put it together, then fuel it with baking powder. The sub dives and surfaces, and then it does it again. Super Sub, one in specially marked boxes of Captain Crunch cereals. Baking powder not included. Hello, and welcome to the part of the show I call Super Fans, and that is where I read feedback from the previous episode, which was, of course, the very first episode of For All Mankind, a Super Friends podcast. So I'm about to read all the comments left on our website, which is fireandwaterpodcast.com. First up is Robert Ward, who said, I just had to look up Honeysuckle, and I gotta say, I like it. I'm disappointed to see she was never used further. I definitely want to sit down and draw fan art myself. She doesn't have quite as a memorable, unfortunate name like Toy Boy, but man, I need more of her. As Rob said, yowza. By the way, Thomas Wayne Jr. doesn't just sound Bob Haney-ish. He was a Bob Haney creation. Not surprising at all, Robert. Thank you. Ryan Daly from our network says, I never read a Super Friends comic, or any other comic for that matter. I didn't know that, Ryan. But I really enjoyed this inaugural episode, and I'm looking forward to following the series through your reviews. Over the last couple of years, my preferred iteration of the classic Justice League has trended more all-ages family-friendly. Might have something to do with reading DC Super Friends Little Golden Books. Fun discussion. Looking forward to part two. Thank you, Ryan. I hope you enjoyed this episode as well. Gothos Mansion left a bunch of comments. Uh, first one was he says, uh, this book uh, was my first exposure to Poison Ivy. Uh, I was shocked that she was referred to as a Batman villain since I'd never heard of her. I considered her to be a pretty deep cut at the time. Prior to her appearance in the Super Friends issue, she only appeared in Batman 181 and 183, a couple of Rosen Thorn backups in Lois Lane, and one of Len Wayne's JLA issues. I hope her exposure here is what led to her being around the consciousness just enough that she was featured on the 1990s Batman animated series, which is what really made her a star. If you're wondering, Ivy made a few Justice League Secret Society of Supervillains and World's Finest appearances before returning to Batman in the early 80s. Jerry Conway wrote a lot of her appearances, so I credit him with keeping her alive. Enjoy the show. I'm looking forward to listening to more. Thank you, Gothos. Yeah, um, the Jerry Conway did a, a lot with Poison Ivy, and I, I think yeah, he probably really did bring her back into, into prominence. Uh, he continued on. He says, uh, one thing I forgot. I haven't been able to donate to the Fire and Water Patreon yet. I hope to after Christmas, but this time of year, I donate to Angel Tree in addition to my regular donations to the rescue organization that I adopted my dog from. If any of you are considering getting a pet for yourself, uh, for your family this Christmas, or really anytime, please consider a rescue. There are some great dogs there that need your love and have lots of love to give. Also, don't hesitate to adopt a senior dog. They need love, too. Uh, yeah, co-signed to that, Gothos. Um, I had a dog, Johnny, and she passed away last year, and I miss her very much. And uh, I will probably, uh, Kelly and I will probably be getting a dog sooner rather than later, and we will definitely be getting a rescue. Uh, there are many, many great dogs and cats there that need uh, love and need home. So uh, I totally agree with Gothos uh, supporting uh, going out and getting an animal through rescue. It's a great thing to do, so thank you. Uh, one last thing he mentioned, he said, I got a lot of my Super Friends issues in the Superman-branded Whitman three-packs. If you'll Call, in addition to Superman action at DC Comics Presents, the Superman packs often had JLA, Super Friends, and Superboy and the Legion issues. Yeah, that's true. Uh, I wonder if maybe with Super Friends had a, a broader appeal, and so therefore they were put put in the three packs, which is were distributed at uh, supermarkets and department stores, uh, that kind of thing. So maybe they figured that you know 
more kids were buying the three packs, so therefore put more in the broad base stuff. I'm probably not, never going to find like you know Prez or House of Mystery in a three pack. Uh, Doctor Ange says another great show, and I'm looking forward to it. It is funny. I used to scoff at the Super Friends comic, but in looking at the cover galley, I must have bought quite a few more than I remember. I think I looked uh, looked at this book the way I look at DCCP and B and B as a great way to meet new faces in the DCU. Plastic Man, Black Orchid, the Demon, the Global Guardians. I love seeing them and seeing them here. As for this issue, I'm more of a kitten guy than a honeysuckle, but it would take either to the prom. Can't wait to see who's going to guest star for the Supergirl issue. Hmm. Think emoji. Uh, David Gutierrez says, I had no idea this existed. So the Teen Poison Ivy Prentice is a go-go dancer or something? Got it. Glad Rob found someone who shares his love of this corner of the DCEU. Love that toth. Yes, Alex. I never get tired of looking at Alex though. Thank you, David. Little Russell Burbage says, I bought every issue of Super Friends and watched the show until I was in high school. I have a few uh, Super Friends stories I could share, like having one of my first letters printed in issue number 40, or writing the story editor of the show after he asked fans to write him. I got an autographed Super Friends script from him. I loved the book, but for a while there, it was the only place we could find Aquaman on a regular basis. Looking forward to this podcast and hopefully being on a guest on it sometime too. Absolutely, Russell. No doubt about that. And yeah, uh, I agree with Russell. Uh, I bought Super Friend, uh, Super Friends regularly, partly because yeah, Aquaman was in every issue in some capacity, and he was not in every issue of Justice League. And when he didn't have a solo book, a lot of times Super Friends was the only way you could get Aquaman on a monthly basis. So yeah, I'm right there with you. Ido Boznar says, "Love the new show. Sean's return to Super Friends is was also welcome." I started picking Super Friends uh, regularly around issue ten or whereabouts. Uh, that was upon time the Wonder Twins were in. At this point. I was already consuming more sophisticated comics fare, and I could tell the target audience for the series was younger children, but that didn't bother me. I found the stories quite enjoyable, and the art, mainly by Rowan Afraiden at that point, was wonderful. I'm looking forward to future discussions of the series. Thank you, Edo. Doug Vandiver says, There's a certain ineffable quality that the rounded panel borders give this comic. I want to lead my everyday life with those rounded panel borders all about me. They carry a suggestion that reality is less sharp and somehow friendlier. Super friendlier, you might say. And then Jason Pope follows up. He says, The rounded corners are safer for the young kids. Those sharp corners could put an eye out. Yeah, I, I have to say, this show came very close to being named Rounded Corners, but I just felt that was maybe too obscure uh, for it to be found on iTunes and stuff like that. So I went with uh, something a little a little more direct for all mankind, but but it was close. It was really close, because when I see Rounded Corners, I think Super Friends. Um, Matt Soroy says, uh, in, regarding Honeysuckle, both the costume and the name are provocative. Had I seen the comic when I came out, I agree it would have gone right over my head and I wouldn't have given it a second thought. I'm very excited for this new addition to the podcast. Super Friends is one of my all-time favorite cartoons. Yes, I'm so old, I still call them cartoons. And it was my gateway into comic books, along with the reruns of the 67 Spider-Man show. Uh, He says, thank you, Rob. Can't wait for the next installment. Thank you so much, uh, Matt. I appreciate it. Martin Gray follows up. He says, I call them cartoons, too. Animation is to cartoons, what graphic novels are to comics, and action figures are to dollies. (laughs) Dollies, very good. Uh, Jason Pope follows up again. He says, great introductory episode. Rob, I've been looking forward to this podcast since its announcement. I've been trying to procure a full run of the 47-issue run and the one special for the better part of 10 years now. Trying to find them all out in the wild at comic shows and conventions without resorting to eBay was a difficult task. However, I finally finished gathering them all earlier this year, and I did not want to start rereading until I had them all. Then your podcast announcement came out, so I figured I'd wait and read along with the podcast. All the better, I say. I've never owned Super Friends comics as a kid, but I feel I had... 
had read almost all of them as, as they seemed to be popular fare at my doctor's offices and barbershops in the late 70s and early 80s. As you can imagine, those copies were never in very great condition, which is probably why so many of the original issues are hard to find and are scarce as they were aimed at the young children and many have been destroyed early on. I, I remember comics in barbershops, but I don't remember seeing them in doctor's offices. Maybe I would have enjoyed those visits more if they had been. Uh, thank you, Jason. Brian Linton says, several years ago, my wife bought me a refrigerator magnet with the cover art from this issue on it. I had no idea where that image came from until today. Thank you for solving this long-standing mystery and bringing a little peace to my troubled mind. As a fan of the cartoon show, I am looking forward to learning about the comic book it inspired. Thank you, Brian. Lizanne Oswald says, huh, that was an interesting comic. Sorry I missed it. The art is pretty good, but I'm definitely not a fan of Vince Coletta inking. Uh, me neither, Lizanne. Though I'm wondering how the story ends, can't wait to hear the next podcast. Thank you, Liz. I hope you enjoyed it. Martin Gray is back. He says, thanks for a great first episode. I've never actually seen an episode of Super Friends. Was that the real opening narration about four heroes? The Wonder Dog gets a mention, but Robin is ignored? Sheesh. Uh, terrific logo, Rob. Thank you, Martin. I'd always assumed that Ramona Fraden drew this from the start, so Rick Estrada was a surprise. I've never heard of Honeysuckle. What a great design. It is indeed amazing that she never was put into the main DCU. Still, there's time. I expect some of those Harley and Ivy slash fiction people to have a petition on the go and get themselves a threesome. I looked up all the Golden Age appearances of the Cheetah and one unpublished story that has appeared in 1969 to find that Pose Rob reckons very reasonably is an H.G. Peter Swipe. No luck. Maybe someone else can find it. Sean using Tomahawk to made my day. How about making this podcast bi-monthly? That would fit the comic schedule. Actually, Martin, this book was uh, semi-monthly. It had that weird schedule that DC, some DC books had in, at the time, which was like they came out like nine issues out of every 12, uh, 12 months or something like that. So for the while, this is going to be monthly just that way I don't have too much time in between episodes. Bradley Null says, I was seven when this comic came out. Spidey Super Stories was a thing, and I wanted the Saturday cartoon thing to go with the Muppet thing, according to my dad. It was the non-Muppet electric company, and I was aware of DC and Marvel as teams and wanted to give both sides a chance. This comic never showed up on the racks in Apple Valley. I looked. The search made me aware of the spinner rack, and my father's inability to find it led him to buying me JLA 147 and 148 instead. Those are pretty good comics, Bradley, so you didn't do too bad. Uh, which is where I decided I was the DC fan. Re- reading this as an, as an adult, uh, young me would have looked down on this. Adult me, however, loves it. And your coverage here makes it much more joyful. Thanks for a fun show. Thank you, Bradley. Chris Franklin from our network says, Great first episode, Rob and Sean. I didn't get to read the story until the Super Friends trade paperback you mentioned, and I've never gotten around to part two. I wonder if uh, Super Friends is on the DC Universe app. I'll have to go and check that out. Please do and report back, Chris. I love the Super Friends comic as a kid, even though, uh, although newsstand distribution and pre being a pre-literate kid for most of the run kept me from being a completist. I saw it as a completely legit in-universe DC comic, just like Ian B did, even if no one else did. I can even forgive the presence of Marvin here. Ian B's version is certainly less annoying than his TV counterpart. I came into the series around issue 7 or 8 when the Wonder Twins were introduced. As for the villain sidekicks, for years I wondered who Kitten was on my Super Friends lunchbox. It seems like she could have fit in nicely with all the DC feline fatales, such as the original Huntress, Catwoman, etc. I'm surprised someone hasn't done something with Honeysuckle and Chick. I think Puffin would have been a better name for him, though. Again, great start. Thank you, Chris. And then Gotham's Mansion follows up. He says, I have that Super Friends lunchbox, too, and actually used it as a kid. Color me confused on Kitten as well. If Honeysuckle had been on the lunchbox, who wants to bet my teacher would have banned me from bringing it to school? That would have been amazing. And then finally, Boston Moss says, Cool show. It really gets the nostalgia flowing. 
While a big fan of the show at the time, I only occasionally got the book. My spending money was quite limited at the time. Go figure. And including the letters page was a really good idea. That tied a bunch of things together that I did not know. Nice touch by both the writer and you guys. Thank you so much, and thanks for all the wonderful comments. I really appreciate it. That we, there was a lot of comments for the first episode, and uh, I really, really enjoyed going through them all. So thanks, guys. And I promise I will be doing listener feedback uh, for every episode. Uh, that way we can inspire more comments and we can have more of a conversation about this great, great comic. So before I wrap here, I want to mention just a couple more things. Of course, uh, we have a Fire and Water Patreon. You can go to patreon.com slash fwpodcast and support the network that way with either a one-time donation or ongoing monthly donation. And one of the rewards you can unlock is to be name-checked on a Fire and Water show of your choice. So if you really love For All Mankind, you can get named on the show just by leaving a uh, monthly donation over at patreon.com slash fwpodcasts. Uh, of course, you can follow the show over on Twitter because, of course, the show has a Twitter feed. What doesn't in my life? That's at For All Mankind SF. And finally, I do want to do the iTunes reviews. We have a couple of iTunes reviews. I'm very, very excited. This, There are actually a lot of shows with For All Mankind in the title. So if you just type that into Apple Podcasts, you won't find For All Mankind until about like eight or nine shows in. So uh, I, especially for this show, iTunes reviews will be really, really important to help it get noticed. So we have three right off the top, uh, all five-star reviews. Thank you so much. I'm going to read them right now. First one is Jeepers by Al Girding. Five stars. I've been waiting for this podcast since before podcasts were invented. The first episode did not disappoint. I can't wait for more, and I'm ready for the ride. Great show, Rob. Thank you, Al. Uh, Must Listen by Joan R. Jim. Awesome podcast. Any podcast by Rob Kelly is a must listen. Thank you. That's a wonderful thing to say. These stories bring out your inner kid and help you find your happiness. And finally, At Last by Matthew Prime. I am rating this five stars because of the people involved and because of the concept alone. I want extremely nerdy, lengthy conversations and explanations about the continuity of this comic. I want references of the Global Guardians. I want all of it. Thank you so much, Matthew. Thank you for those reviews that I just uh, thought to look them up a couple days ago. And I was so touched that there were three already and they were so positive. So thank you so much. And again, I will read every iTunes review on the show. So I guess that is going to do it. Big thanks to Sean Myers for coming back and finishing up the part two of this story, uh, the Superfoes story with me. I always love talking to him and I know he's a big Super Friends fan and he will definitely be back here on the show. So again, that is going to do it. So thanks for listening to For All Mankind. Join us next episode when we look at Superfriends number three, The Cosmic Hitman. FW TV podcast.